Hey, so this morning um, I'm starting a, a new uh, short series, just a couple of weeks. Can you believe that Easter is right around the corner? We are inside the 30-day window. So near you, there should be a, a, a card uh, that has some information about Easter on it. Um, and I just encourage you, it's going to be like an Easter Sunday like we've never done here. Um, we are going to have a, a, a small orchestra. I think it's like a 10-piece orchestra in here. It's going to be uh, it's going to be well done. It's going to be on fire. Jesus is going to be presented. And so I would really encourage you, let's fill this house up. Let's make it special, right? Um, so thank you so much for doing that. Um, so I'm starting a series uh, to help you to, to really communicate the message of Jesus to people. And sometimes the, the thing that you really need when you're kind of stirred up about having a conversation, how many of you ever found yourself having, uh, you, you needed to have a crucial conversation with somebody. could have been something completely unrelated to Jesus, but you just didn't know how to begin. You just didn't know how to say it. Like, like when you were young and you wrecked the car. You just didn't know how to start the conversation, you know. Um, or, or, or maybe, I, I don't know, maybe you, maybe you broke a vase that was your mom's favorite vase, and you're just like, how do I say it? How do I, you know, how do I say it? You just need that first one-liner. A uh, number of years ago, uh, one of the books I was reading uh, was a business book, and, and uh, Jack, Jack Welch, who, uh, you know, has gone on to his reward, you know, uh, in, famously, inf infamously, uh, the head of General Electric for a while, but he, he coached his managers. And he used to say, now, when you got to let somebody go, he, he said, here's what you do. You call them into the office and you say, it's been a good run. It's always the opening line. It's been a good run. And then you would tell them what you had to tell them and you would let them go. He always had his, his one liner. So around here, Daniel and I joke all the time, you know, when, when you do something wrong, it's been a good run. That's kind of inside. That's the insider joke there. It's been a good run. If, if you see an email that starts with, it's been a good run, it is, it's not going to end well, right? And uh, so a part of this message really comes out of my own, my own angst as a young man because I didn't know how to start a conversation about Jesus. You know, you can, you can be like one second talking about, you know, March Madness and everything surface and let's talk about that coffee and let's talk about whatever. And then how do you go from that to a conversation about somebody's soul? How do you go from that to a conversation, like, how do you shift gears like that? And, and when I was young, I got born again at 17 years old, and uh, when, when my family and I first moved to Western North Carolina, I was there for a few years before I got born again, and I first moved there in eighth grade, and the first person I ever met was a guy named Mark, and Mark and I became instant friends. He was funny. He was, you know, just had this contagious sense of humor all the time. Um, he was really good in sports. Like anything he did, he just made you sick because he was just so doggone good at it. Um, was probably an all-conference running back uh, during our high school years. And then another guy named Mike. And so, uh, so the three of us hung out together all through high school years. Well, that was, uh, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. In between 11th and 12th grade is when I, I met the Lord. And I didn't know anything about church. I didn't know anything about, I didn't know the difference between a Baptist and a Presbyterian, a Pentecostal and a Catholic. None of that mattered to me. I just knew God had done a work in my life. And, uh, I, and I wanted to communicate that some kind of way. And I wasn't sure what the best way to do it was, but God had 
had put such a hunger in my, in my heart for the Word, and so I would carry, every day, I would carry my Bible, uh, my senior year, I would carry my Bible uh, into class, and I would get done with my schoolwork a little bit, read, read my Bible, just as a witness, that's all I knew. I really didn't know how to talk to people, though. I really, you know, I knew what God was doing on the inside of me, but I didn't know how to say it. You know what I'm saying? How to say it. And uh, so during the course of time, Mike, Mark, and myself, uh, we had spent, we had camped together, we had partied together, we had done all the stuff that young men probably ought not to do, but they do, and, and that's what we did, and we were the three amigos hung out together. But somewhere around the early part of our junior year, Mark started drinking. Now, Mark was part of a... a, a, a a, a mixed family, not mixed, like like blended family, I guess you'd say, because uh, his parents had been divorced and he had, his mom remarried. And so a lot of step siblings there in, in his life um, had an older brother, wasn't much in the picture, but he seemed to have everything going for him. You know, his, his grades were decent, uh, was the sports guy that everybody looked up to, great sense of humor, never met a stranger. And yet he started drinking and he started drinking hard, like, like alcoholics looked at Mark and said, that's drinking hard. I mean, you know, he was the, he was the guy like stand out. Uh, and through our high school, uh, through our junior and then into our senior year, uh, Mark started missing so much class. And sometimes he would have blackouts. Sometimes he would sit in class and he would just totally blackout. And uh, they'd have to come get him and carry him off to the office or, you know, to the, nur- uh, to the nurse's office, whatever the case may be. And I never knew, even though I was, uh, you know, Mark had always been a friend, you know, when somebody starts to drift like that, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't equipped. I'm 17 years old, and I'm like, you know, what, what do you say? Knock it off. Why don't you just quit? Like, that, it's that easy, like, right? Huh? I mean, we, don't, we, don't we love our pat answers when we don't have a solution? Let's just throw words at it, and maybe something will happen, right? And I just didn't know how to have a conversation with Mark about Jesus. Well, fast forward, uh, probably about six months after graduation, Mark did not graduate because he missed so much school. I went on to Bible college. I found out probably four or five months after the fact that Mark had died in a car crash on the mountain that we used to, just not far from where we used to camp, uh, just uh, alcohol-induced, whatever. I don't, I don't know if there, any other cars were present. I just know that Mark lost his life. And I have a regret. I, 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 you know, I, I don't carry guilt around. I'm not under the weight of this all the time. But 37 years later, I look back with regret and say, why didn't I say something to Mark about Jesus. Why, why didn't I? And there were only maybe a half dozen really on fire Christians. There were a bunch of nominal Christians in high school, but I didn't know anybody that knew Jesus the way I knew Jesus. I mean, I'm, and I'm not boasting. I'm just saying uh, like Jesus was vividly alive in my life and I was talking to him every day. And, and yet there were people that went to church, but then they were partying just as hard as they went to church on a Sunday. You know, I mean, it's, you, you, you get me? You get me? You tracking? You picking up what I'm laying down? Okay. So, so I thought, what if I could just give everybody a one-liner? So the title of the message today, Can We Talk? Let's practice it. Can we talk? Out loud, everybody. Can we talk? How do you start a crucial conversation about souls? How do you start a crucial conversation about the person of Jesus who loves every soul, who is the lover of the souls of all mankind. How do you do that? 
It could be as simple as can we talk. So there's this conversation that I want us to look into, and it's in our text today in Luke chapter 17. And uh, I'm going to talk through this a little bit with you. But uh, uh, read this out loud with me, won't you? Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom, I can't hear you, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Now, uh, let's just pause for a moment. The, the Pharisees came to the king and said, when's the kingdom going to come? Is that irony lost on you this morning? What is, the, what is a kingdom but a king's domain? It's his rulership. It's where he rules and reigns. And here's the king. Wherever the king is, that's his domain. He rules and reigns. And so the Pharisees don't recognize who Jesus is, and they ask him this question, when is the kingdom going to come? And Jesus begins to talk to them about the fact that the kingdom doesn't come with your earthly observation, obviously, because you guys totally missed it. But the kingdom of God is within you. Let's, let's keep going. Then he said to his disciples, notice the Pharisees are there, the disciples are there. Now he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the initiated ones. He's talking to the ones that know the secret handshake, you know. Um, and, uh, and so he's talking to them and, and he says, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Now, I'm going to point out to you what, what I would consider to be um, almost a paradoxical thing that Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, there are going to be men that tell you the kingdom's coming here, the kingdom's coming there, or the Messiah's coming here, the Messiah's coming there. He said, but you need to realize that things are going to be very ordinary when I come. That it's going to be so relaxed. It's going to be so, their mind, people's minds are going to be on their everyday stuff. They're going to be thinking about, what am I going to have for lunch like y'all are right now? Don't picture your lunch right now. While I'm talking to you, do not picture your lunch. You know how terrible that is, right? It's like, it's like don't picture a black dog. Whatever you do, don't picture a black dog. Anyway, um, you know, so, so he says, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Keep going. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Keep going. On that day, no one who is, in, uh, who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. I don't, I don't get this. I, does Jesus think everybody's a roofer? I don't, I don't understand that. But, uh, but anyway, I, I'll get the interpretation. 
interpretation someday. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that they're going to say the kingdom of the, 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 the Messiah is coming now. Look over here. Look over here. This is the place to be. You're going to understand when he comes. And Jesus says, that should be a sign for you that you're not going to see it. Because the two events that he talks about, you know, uh, what, what happened in Noah's day, all of the animals had gone on board, right? All of the critters. Y'all got some critters at your house? You know, all, everything got loaded on board, even the snails. Boy, that just took them forever. <laughs> the snails made it on the ark, you know, and, and the turtles and all the critters made it on the ark. And yet the culture missed it. What were they doing? Eating and drinking, getting married, having a party, having a good time. All of that was going on right up until the day that Noah entered the ark. I used to teach this to the kids in kids' church. Do you realize that Noah, who, that Noah himself didn't shut the door on the ark? That the Bible says very clearly God shut the door. Whew. Like God didn't put Noah in the spot where he was judging and he was saying it was the last moment. God says, Noah, I got the door. Don't worry. I got the door. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm not putting you in a spot where you're going to have any regret. No, you preached for a hundred years to this generation and they haven't listened, but you got yourself and you got your family and all the critters knew better. And so they got on board and God shut the door on the ark. And Jesus says it was a suddenly. It took a hundred years, but it was a suddenly. Ordinary day, but it was a suddenly. Second picture that we find is the, the day of Lot. Now, this is interesting because we don't even know Lot's wife's name. I was going to have a little fun with this. It was, it's, it's a little, you know, she was a salty character though, wasn't she? Oh, sorry. That's the, that's, we don't, Mrs. Lot, we'll just call her Mrs. Lot. Now, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. She's not named by, by her first name, but we know who she was. And, and she was with Lot when Abraham and Lot separated. And Lot went down to the well-watered gardens of, of Sodom. He went down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because he looked with his eyes and it looked pretty. It looked nice, you know, and Abraham said, I'll just leave it up to you. If you go, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go uh, uh, right, I'll go left. It doesn't matter to me. I'm trusting in the Lord. And so Lot looks with his eyes and said, oh, that's pretty over there. I think I'll settle over there. And what he doesn't realize when, until he gets down in there, that Sodom is the cesspool of the Old Testament. It is the place that is so bad uh, when he takes his family there that the judgment of God is filling up against the community in which he lives. And the Lord comes down in Genesis chapter 18, and he has a conversation with Abraham. How, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Surely he will become a, a great and powerful nation. Shall I hide from him? What kind of a man, this is, this is amazing to me, think about this. What kind of a man does God stop off before he judges and has a conversation with a man. 
Abraham was something. God had a plan for him. And so he goes down and he begins to talk about judgment on Sodom. And so Abraham begins to negotiate. What does Abraham do? He's interceding. He's interceding on behalf of people. This is one of the reasons why God used him was because he cared for people so much. And so he said, you know, God, if there's 50 people down there, you wouldn't destroy it, would you? You wouldn't destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. That wouldn't be right. And and so he begins to talk, 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 talk. He gets them all the way down to, bars him all the way down to 10 people. The problem was there weren't 10 righteous people in all of Sodom. And so he realized he's got to do something. He said, you, you know, lots got to come out of there. And so, so, uh, so the angels of the Lord go. And you know the story how that Sodom was so wicked that these angels went down to, to meet with Lot. And, uh, and the men of the community wanted to have sex with them. And so, you know, uh, Lot sees that these are righteous men. And, and you know, they're, they under, come under the care of his roof. And, you know, even, even promises them his virgin daughters. I mean, come on, Lot. What's the matter with your brain? But, uh, but, but he's so inundated with the sin with the sexual sin, with the, with the fornications and the adulteries of that particular community that, that you know, these men are then struck blind, uh, you know, and God, and, and through the angels, the, you know, we've got a lot, we've got to get you out of here. We've got to get you out of this, this place. The judgment is coming. Now, for everybody else living in Sodom, they don't have a clue. They don't know what's about to happen. But Lot and his wife, they understood what was about to take place. And so, uh, so then they're concerned. Well, you know, they're fretting over stuff. What are they fretting? Well, honey, what should we pack? What do, you, what do you pack in case of judgment? I don't know. We don't have a box around here in case of judgment. Carry this box. What do we pack? What do we do? And, and so they said, leave your stuff behind. These angels are saying, you know, it's coming. The judgment is coming. So leave your stuff behind. And, and so then they have this conversation. And, and the angels want to get them far clear of Sodom because, the, you know, this thing's going to go up. And we don't want anybody touched. And so Lot says, I can't go that far. I'm too tired. We, can we go to this little village over here? And they're like, okay. Okay, we'll take you over there, but we got to go now. And the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 19 that the angels grab Lot and his wife by the hand and start dragging them out of Sodom. That judgment is coming and they know they've already been dispatched to do the job and they're, they're dragging them out of Sodom. Do you get the picture with me today? That it was ordinary for everybody else, but for Lot and his daughters, because the son-in-laws thought it was a joke. They thought judgment was a joke, something to be laughed about. They were left behind, and and here comes Lot, and here comes his wife, and here comes the kids, the two daughters, and they're on the way, and they, they, the angels give one instruction, get out and don't look back. Don't look back. I'm talking to you, church. Some of us have been looking back. Some of our struggles are not because something Jesus did. It's because we're looking back. We've allowed stuff back in that we once got rid of. And because we're looking back, it's causing us problems. And we want to say, it's God's fault. 
He did it. God's, in, God's got me in this mess. Really? Did God make your decisions for you? Did God say, let compromise happen in your life? Did God locate you in Sodom? That was Lot's decision to settle there. Let me talk to you about Lot's wife for a minute before we go any further. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. When they're saying the kingdom of God is going to come and you've got, you've got the end time theories going on and Russia is invading Ukraine and, and you've got talks of Armageddon and talks of World War III, Jesus is saying, remember Lot's wife. He's, he's saying, don't waste your time when people are saying the kingdom is going to come here or it's going to come on that day or it's going to come in this season because Jesus said, it's going to be like you're walking outside and you're looking up in the sky and all of a sudden there's a flash of light. Looks like a beautiful day. And then the lightning comes across the sky. What? It was an ordinary day. And Jesus said, that's the way it's going to be when the son of man comes. So don't think that you'll have time to get ready. You don't have time tomorrow or the next day. Isn't it funny how knowledge works? Here's, here's an interesting thing. Why? Because if, if, if I can, if I can uh, calculate the day when Jesus is going to come back, I can live like I want to up until the 11th hour. Isn't that the way we work? Come on, I know you. When you were a little kid and your mama said, clean your room by the time I got home, and you knew what time mama got home, and so you played and you did whatever right up until five minutes till mama got home. And then you cleaned your room. And it looked like it too, and she knew it. The Bible says, though, knowledge passes away. If we practice medicine the, the, the way they did 100 years ago, all the doctors would be arrested. Knowledge passes away, right? And, and so we have this thing about knowledge that we think we can control our lives if we know a little bit more, if we know a little bit more, if we know a little bit more. But here's the thing. Uh, even though Lot, uh, Lot and his wife knew about God, she was not saved, Think about this. The angels have her by the wrist. And as they're dragging her out of Sodom, the angels thought she was saved. But she was lost. Not, every, not even the angels in heaven. Do you think the angels have a little more perspective than we do? The angels that, that, that see the glory of God all the time, that nothing is hidden from them as far as their understanding of what's going on in heaven. But the reality is that, that the choice that you make to serve Jesus is yours and yours alone. And only you know, only you know, there is no one more intimate with God than the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can get between you and him. This is why Jesus says, deny your self take up the cross and follow me and nobody's going to stand between you and God just you now I'm going to say something I've said before and I get always get sideways looks at it when I, but God loves you but he hates yourself he hates that selfish part of you he hates that self that says I want what I want when I want it and I don't care what the rules are I just want it 
I just want, I want, I want, I want. And it's that part of us that is where lust is, where greed is, where gluttony is, where adultery is, where all of that comes from. It's the self. And Jesus says, unless you deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me, you have no part with me at all. So it's possible that as the angels are dragging Mrs. Lot out of Sodom, they don't even know. They thought she was saved, but she was lost. Not even the angels know. Can you imagine that, that the, the two little daughters that looked up to, uh, to Lot's wife, that she was their example, and they grew up knowing her, and they knew how she would answer in every situation, just like we always do, so that we can use it to our advantage with our parents. Um, they, they knew how she would answer. They knew how she would act, and they just knew that she was probably the most righteous person they knew. The daughters thought she was saved, but she was lost. Can you imagine Lot? Now, if anybody has responsibility, and I'm going to talk about the difference between responsibility to and responsibility for in just a second. If I don't, wave me down and say, wait a minute, go back to that. Um, I blame Lot for his, for his wife's demise because he was in charge of where we're going to settle. And I don't know if the scripture, bad company corrupts good morals, was in Lot's day, but the, the, the principle was already there. You only get righteous by knowing Jesus, but you can corrupt your morals by being around ungodly people. In other words, you don't get righteous by hanging around with godly people, but you can certainly get carnal by hanging around ungodly people. Are you tracking with me? Here's the difference. Here's the reason. Because only Jesus makes us righteous. He's the only one. There, there, there is no righteous, there's none righteous, no, not one. And, and so when we come to the Lord, we recognize that he's the only one that can clean us. He's the only one that can change us. And I live my life as unto him, and I don't live it for anybody else. And this is the only way that I can be saved, you see. And so Lot was maybe not responsible for her decisions, but he was responsible to her. He was responsible to provide the best uh, environment where she could be and not get pulled at by the world. The angels thought she was saved, but she was lost. The daughters thought she was saved, but she was lost. Her husband thought she was saved, but she was lost. The sinners, all in Sodom, they thought if you asked them, she was probably the one that after the parties was, you know, mopping up all the puke and looking after the people and making sure they got home. She was probably the one. She was, she was probably hospitable. Why? Because the, the, the Jews, you know, Lot, Lot was Jewish, practicing hospitality, people coming under your roof. That was the thing. She was probably very hospitable. And all the sinners thought, if there's one righteous woman in this town, it's her. The sinners thought she was saved, but she was lost. And can you imagine? They've made it out. Maybe this is the boundary. And they've made it out of the city limits, and they're moving across the field. And they're going just as quickly as they can because the angel said the judgment is coming, and we've got to get out of this place because the fire's going to come down, and God's going to wipe everything out. And they're moving across there, and she was almost saved. But she was lost. 
She was lost because the, the, the difference between just knowing about God and knowing God might only be 18 inches, but it's, it's enough distance that you will not make it in. That if you've relied on the fact that your grandma or your grandpa or your mom or your dad or somebody else knew Jesus and you don't have that knowledge for yourself, well, I believe the Bible. Can I tell you I've got a degree in the Bible and it won't save you. You say, well, Pastor Ken, you're in the ministry. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a degree in Christian ministry but it doesn't make me anything before God. Maybe more confused. I used to know some stuff and then I learned some stuff and I realized I, ain't know, I don't know nothing. You know, you, you can't rely on, on what other people say about you. Well, Pastor Ken thinks I'm okay. You know what? I love everybody. Some people more than others. But that doesn't make you right with God. Just because the pastor shakes your hand. The old preacher used to say it this way. You can, you can go to hell with communion juice on your chin. You can go to hell with the wafer in your mouth. Pastor Ken, you're, you're speaking in circles. What is it? You got to know Jesus. He's got to be your first love. He's got to be the number one. If your heart doesn't burn white hot for Jesus Christ, if, if you are not on fire to know God and to know him more, and the spirit of the Lord is not on the inside saying right now, yeah, 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 that's what I need. I, that's truth. I'm hearing truth right now. I want more of that. Give me more truth. I want to be built up. I knew when I, 17 years old, I didn't know a whole lot. But when I got born again, man, what, what would possess a 17-year-old kid that loves to listen to classic rock to pick up a King James Bible and begin reading it? Why would I, what in the world does that? And what would make me break up all my tapes and all my, all my, you know, my cassettes and all that kind of stuff because it didn't glorify God. I'm like, God, I just want to please you. I just want to serve you. I'm not saying any of those things makes me somebody, but there was somebody that was talking to me about my life at 17. And I cannot tell you it wasn't my mom and it wasn't my dad. I didn't have a bunch of rules that I grew up by, but I, the Spirit of God came on the inside of me, and he began to challenge my thinking and challenge my way of living because he said, I want you to know me. And I began a journey. Can we talk today? Can we talk about what's going on inside of your soul? Can we talk today about the kind of stuff that maybe you've allowed to gather around you? And see, here's the problem. You can, you know, Pastor Ken is, is, is drinking wrong. It will, will taking a drink send you to hell? No, but you don't know which drink that you have. And after a while, what's drinking you? You can take that first drug, but after a while, it'll drag you. Well, I only took one drag and I didn't think it would make a difference. Well, it's then you, you never can go back to the first one. You want to go back and get the same high that you got the first time and you can't. You start chasing it and it, you just want more and you want more and you want more and you want more. And that becomes a lifestyle and that lifestyle will diminish your life. 
It'll drag you down into a place that you have no business being in, and that's not the Father's heart. Come on. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm far less than an angel, but if I could take you by the hand and I could pull you out of the mess that you're in today and say, stop looking back. Come on. We got a place to go. It's called heaven, and let's go toward the one who made heaven available, and, and let me just drag you as a pastor. You, you, might, you might go kicking and screaming at first, but if the Spirit of God starts working on the inside of you, you'll say, uh-huh, now I know. I need to be moving forward toward heaven. I don't owe this world anything. I don't know my friends, owe my friends anything. I don't know, owe my family anything. If you're not willing to leave it all behind for Jesus, something's hanging on to you. Something's in your life, in your emotions, in your thought process. If you're not willing to just leave it all behind and say, you know what, I don't care what they say. I got to have Jesus. I got to have Jesus. He is my life. You got to be willing to do that. Some of you second generation Christians in here, I, I love getting around. I can almost tell in a few minutes when I begin talking to, to people who have really left stuff behind to serve Jesus. I'm talking about like pioneer Christians, like, 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 yeah, I'm the first one in my whole family that ever got born again. I'm like, I feel you. I under, understand that. understand that. Uh, second generation is a lot harder. Why? Because, you know, you grew up with Jesus in your cornflakes and mom prayed over you and you had all this and you had all that. And, it, and you never really had to choose because you didn't really feel like you had a choice. Let me tell you, you got to know God as your heavenly father. Because there's only one generation, actually. We talk about three generations in the house, but there's only one generation, and that's the generation of faith who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, who have said, I will name the name of Jesus. So this morning, I don't know where you're at, but I want to challenge your thinking. I want to challenge your thinking here this morning. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Can we talk? Can we talk about your eternity? I'm not talking about what you're going to do next week. I'm not talking about what you're going to do when you're 75, when you're 80. I'm talking about a thousand lifetimes. I'm talking about where your never dying soul is going to exist when you draw your last breath. Can we talk? Because there's only one good outcome. And the good news, the gospel is good news because you can choose today to have that outcome. You get to choose. Nobody else. Well, Pastor Ken, you don't know my family. I don't need to know your family. You can make a choice. If you can choose to have cheese on your burger or not, you can choose Jesus. It's the power of choice. Holy Spirit draws. Holy Spirit draws. And when you say yes to him, most important decision you will ever make. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. People will always wonder about things beyond them. Jesus has made the way. He presented himself. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. No one comes to the Father. There are many preachers out there, but there's only one Jesus. 
There's only one Jesus. And we're not believing what a preacher says. We're believing in who Jesus says he is. And when we believe in who he says he is, that's when heaven opens up to us. Right now, there's a lot of conversations uh, about World War III. There's a lot of conversations about a lot of different things. But can we talk about your eternity? Here's what we have to do. Let me skip on down uh, in your notes this morning. And uh, with the kingdom of God in your spirit, the battlefield is always in your mind. I love the the, the conversation when uh, Catherine was talking about a minute ago and uh, Jeremy and Lauren and, and how, you know, you could see, you know, if you got three boys, huh, it's kind of risky. But they had a word, right? They had a word. It was going to be a girl. They had a word. And, and what happens after you, you say, okay, we're going we're gonna to go all in. But then there's the anxiety in your life. What if it's another boy? Don't we all face that? Let's just be real. Is this is serving God really worth it? Is is serving God? What does it mean to serve God? What do I have to give up? That's what I used to think about. What do I have to give up in order to do this thing? Or or how much of the world can I hang on to and still have Jesus? See, the battlefield is always in your mind. And, and a lot of times what we have to do is we have to come to terms with this fact. Uh, you know, we've got to, number one, filter your thoughts by how they lift you. Not just positive thinking, but life-giving thoughts from the Word of God. You've got to allow the Word to do its work on the inside of you. And in order to do that, you've got to expose yourself constantly to the Word of God. I don't know how many, you know, uh, psychologists look at this and say you've got about 20,000 thoughts in your mind every day. I'm a dreamer, so I think I have 50,000. But they're not all God, and they're not all good. And depending on what thoughts that I allow to marinate on the inside of my brain, that's the direction my life will start to go. Right? And so the Word of God tells us, here's what you do with that brain, because once you're born again and the Spirit of God is on the inside of you, the, what you got to do every day is, now I've, I made the decision to follow Jesus, but now the management of that decision means that I've got to control this noggin, this coconut right here. I've got to control what's going on with it. And if I don't control what's going on with it, I'm going to be swept away with whatever goes on in this world. So Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Oftentimes I have a conversation with Pastor Daniel and when, you know, we, we taught years ago, we taught about the praying the Lord's Prayer. You get up every morning and you just pray the Lord's Prayer, um, but, but as a heading for your life, not just, you know, pray it verbatim, but meditate. You know, I'm going to hallow the name of the Lord, so I'm going to take the eight covenant names of God, and I'm going to exalt his name, and I'm going to make my way through. And then it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In the King James there, he's saying that you can set your heart to forgive. Well, you know, when you choose to forgive in the morning and by 10 o'clock, somebody has done stepped on your toes, cussed you out, pulled out in front of you, all the other stuff. If you set your heart to forgive in the morning, it makes it a whole lot easier when the moment comes to pass. Set your mind 
on things above, not on earthly things. If you wait for the earthly things, you will get quickly overwhelmed. So you set your mind, you take control of your mind. What are you doing? You're taking the lordship of Jesus and you're putting on that helmet of salvation and you're allowing him to direct your life. My, I'm, I'm living from my salvation. I'm not living from my flesh. Secondly, don't be overcome by earthly struggles. This life is the dressing room for eternity, so don't be distracted. Most of your anxiety in life comes from the stuff that's happening around you at any given moment. Can I tell you, if you had a heavenly vantage point, if you knew that today was your last day, if you knew that things were going to shift and change quickly into the, the favor, you, you would recognize, can I tell you, on your worst day as a child of God, the best thing they could do is kill you. Because I'm going right on in to eternity, right? To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And if I will fix my mind on things above and not on earthly things, then I don't have to get involved with all the, with all the junk, right? I'm not going to be anxious about it. Why? Because I know my father's got it all taken care of. So I concern myself with what's going, remember what Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you'll lose your life for my sake, you will find it. The last part this morning, put to death the weights and sins which hinder you. Last week, Pastor Alex reminded us of that. I'm going to read it again to you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If I can have uh, Olivia to come to the keys right now. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Can I just talk to you for a minute? When he says, lay aside the sin and the weights, the things that are dragging you down, let me ask you this morning, can we talk? What's dragging down your soul today? What's dragging down your soul today? What is it that's causing you to not say, man, I'm just, man, I'm, I'm feeling, woo, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm ready to go out and run this thing. I'm ready to go do it. I'm ready to go after God. What is it that's hindering you? What hindered your praise this morning if it was hindered? What, what was the distraction in your mind as you said, okay, Jesus, I want to focus on you right now. And then all of a sudden you got this thought and it, and it's right in there. Man, I can't believe they did that to me. I can't believe they said that about me. Distractions in the holy place. Why did that get there? Why do you even care what people think? Because somewhere down on the inside of you, something's alive and it needs to be put to death. See, Pastor Ken, that's, that's pretty hard. I heard Jack Hayford say a number of years ago, when uh, several years ago, I went out to Hayford's church, and it's pretty unique, um, really cutting edge in its day. And and every time you sat, you came into the church in the sanctuary, you know, we have a bunch of empty seats. His church had no empty seats. And uh, and by, by intent, if it had any empty seats, they were at the back. So the ushers always seated you. And he's out there in... in uh, in Van Nuys, you know, it's LA. So you got CEOs of 
you know, of major film companies. You had actors, you had actresses, you had musicians. Like the, the, to play on the band, it was like a six-week rotation because they had all these incredible instrumentalists and everything. But you never got to sit in the same place twice. And a, a, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company came into church and uh, the ushers were seating everybody and it wasn't where that guy wanted to be seated. And he's used to having his way. And so he gets a little ticked off, but he does it. And then he writes Pastor Jack a letter. Pastor Jack, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is how many people work for me. I would appreciate it if I could sit wherever I want to sit while I'm at church. And his executive pastor held it up to him. He says, hey, I think you've offended his pride. And Jack says, oh, that's too bad. I was hoping to outright kill it. Put to death. Live up to your baptism. When you are baptized in water, all of your excuses for the flesh died under the water. And if they didn't, Maybe Randy should have kept you down a little longer. (laughs) What is it in our flesh that wants to agree with the devil and take us down? What is it in our flesh that wants to agree with the world and pull us back? What is it that's causing us to do Lot's wife? The angel's got our hand, and she's looking back. I don't know what that is for you today. But you and I need to put those things to death. Can we do that right now? You ready to do that? Can we talk? Can we talk about your soul? Can we talk about the things that are still lingering, still hanging on, still dragging you back and not pulling you forward? We have this anchor. The Bible says we have this anchor for the soul. It enters through the holy place. It's the intercession of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, come on, you can make it. Come on, I've given you everything you need for life and for godliness. Come on, take a hold of my hand and you will see my power work in your life. Come on and we can put that thing to death. You'll never have to look at that flesh anymore. You'll never have to look at that sin. You'll never have to look at that weight. You will never be ashamed. Let's stand this morning. Altars are open this morning. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing, but Holy Spirit is saying, come let us reason together. That's, I'm just, I, I just dialed it up a minute. Jesus is saying today, can we talk? Holy Spirit is saying, can we talk? Can we talk about your soul? Can we talk about your, your, the, the areas that are holding you back? Come on, step out from where you're at and come do business with God today. Don't leave this place when the Holy Spirit is showing you something. Don't leave this place. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. This altar's for you this morning. Don't turn your back this morning. Don't turn your back on your calling. Don't turn your back on your giftings. Don't turn your back on what Jesus has for you. Move toward him. Lean toward him. Move after the thing that God has for you. Come on, if I could go right to where you're at, Holy Spirit's dealing with you. I would take you by the hand and say, come on, let's go do the God thing. Let's do the thing God has for you today. You've got to make that decision. Lot's wife was almost saved. But almost saved is completely lost almost saved is completely lost. Come on, friends.
It's time to meet with the Lord. If we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to purify us. Purify us from all unright. Purify us. God is here to cleanse you today. He's here to wash you. He's not here to browbeat you. He's not here to make you miserable. Conviction is what causes you to look more like Jesus when you respond. The beautiful thing about conviction is that it gives way to joy. The dangerous thing about condemnation is that all you get is more condemnation. If the devil's saying, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never, and you listen, you'll never. One preacher said it this way. He said, the devil knows your name and calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin and calls you by your name. He is a father who loves us with an everlasting love. I'll wait just another moment. Come on, let's do business with the Lord today. I'm going to ask you right now, let's just, if, if you are physically able, would you just make an altar where you're at right now, all over this place, on, online right now? Lord, we come before you right now. We come before you, Lord God, with not just a posture, but also an attitude of humility, recognizing, Lord, that without you, we can do nothing. Recognizing, Lord, that you have made all of eternity available to us and you said, trust in me for those brief minutes that you have on the planet and I will take care of you for eternity. You don't have to know everything. You just need to know my son. You just need to know that I have loved you with an everlasting love. And you have had to say, Jesus, come into my life and save me. God, forgive us for worrying about things that are far beyond us. Forgive us for worrying about end time things and earthly things and who's who and what's what. When the most important thing is to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. The most important thing is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every one of us, Lord God, would find you and we would find that cleansing and we would find the work that you want to do on the inside of us happening. Come on, just convince the Lord that you need him this morning. Don't, don't worry about what anybody around you says. Call on the Lord. They that call on the Lord shall renew their strength. They that call on the Lord, they that look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. Come on, convince Jesus that you need saving this morning. Convince Jesus that you need him. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I can't pray a prayer that only you can pray. Father, in the name of Jesus right now, every life, we claim every life for you. We claim every life for heaven. We claim every life for the kingdom in the name of Jesus right now.